please turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I want to bring a message that's been on my on my heart for a couple years. I've never put it together. And finally this last week, um, I put some thoughts together. And it's concerning the ministry of confirmation, or the confirmation of the brethren, the importance of, of that ministry. Uh, perhaps this is a lesson that's better suited for Sunday school or Wednesday night, but um, I've got the Sunday night slot, so here you go. <laughs> Acts chapter 13, though, and, and beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, notice that, as they're already ministering, and they're ministering to the Lord. That's important. We don't minister to men as much as we minister to the Lord, first and foremost. And fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. We'll, we'll pause right there, and I just read this passage just uh, by way of introduction before we begin looking at what I mean by a ministry of confirmation. Let's just consider, let's stop real quick and just consider briefly what was going on here in this passage. It says, Separate me Barnabas and Saul... And then notice this, for the work whereunto I have called them. What was this work? It just says, it doesn't say to the mission work, to the, it just says to the work, mm -hmm. to the work whereunto I have called them. And it says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. That means as they go out, They've been a part of this church. They've been preaching in this church. They've been serving in this church. And they're being separated. They're being set apart for a specific work. And it just says, for the work whereunto I have called them. Think about what this must have been like for, first we can't really imagine what it was like for the Holy Ghost to have spoken to them and said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. But... Imagine what this must have been like for Barnabas, for the church. What, did, what was the work? And uh, um, now we know Saul um, had, uh, or Paul, um, had been told from the beginning, and Ananias was told from the beginning, that he was going to suffer for Christ's namesake. He was going to uh, go to the Gentiles. He was going to go before kings and rulers and so forth. And that had not yet happened. And so Paul, I feel like, probably had more of a, an understanding that now it was time to go to the Gentiles. I don't know how much time. Um, these were real people. They would have had real conversations. How much in the, the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of Paul and Barnabas had they not spent hours and hours together talking about what the Lord had for them in the future and and what do you think the realities are of us possibly working together and, and so forth? Because there were other preachers there. I mean, why didn't Paul go with Lucius of Cyrene? Or there were other preachers there. Um, and so Barnabas had been in the church in Antioch for a long time. But it was God had a purpose for these two particular people 
to go to a particular work, an unspecified work, to the work whereunto I have called them. And so, did Paul lay out a five-year plan to the church in Antioch? So, you know, because that's a lot of times what churches expect, right? So if you're planning on going to Thailand, um, and you're going to this particular city, um, what's your plan? We need, we need to kind of know what your plan or we need to know whether or not you're going to be a good missionary or not. Like, um, and, uh, you know, what, what, with what you've been taught at Bible college and so forth, um, when you get there, like, what's your plan? Um, no, Paul didn't have a five-year plan. Um, his plan was to be led by the Spirit in the direction that he should go. The early church was led by the Holy yes. Spirit. They didn't have two-year plans and five-year plans and so forth. Um, they followed the Lord. I, I thought it was interesting as we were singing that last song, how appropriate, how is it that we should all live our life that way, but especially the ministers of God, Jesus led me all the way. Um, and so here, um, it says here in this passage, it says um, they were commanded to separate Paul and Barnabas and then it says, and being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, they, they departed thence. And so it says, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia. It means that the Holy Ghost directed them to go to that particular place. And then the Holy Ghost directed them to go to Cyprus. And then the Holy Ghost directed them to go so forth. And so the Holy Ghost didn't just direct them in their call, but the Holy Ghost directed them in every way, every aspect of their ministry. They just followed the Holy Ghost. And so um, I'll just say this now. If the church in Antioch believed they were sending out Paul for the sole purpose of starting churches, they were about to be greatly disappointed. Uh, the majority, this is what I mean by this. A lot of times churches have in their mind what they would like to see their missionary do. They have in their mind what they think missionaries are supposed to be doing right now, whether they're doing enough or not. Um, the majority of Paul's ministry, though, did not involve starting churches. I think a lot of times, I know I have, I've thought the majority of his ministry was involved in starting churches. You know, the church in Corinth, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Philippi, you know, um, on down the line, uh, Lystra, Derby, um, all this. He, he did start a lot of churches. But the majority of time spent, and I'll get back to this later, it did not involve starting churches. And so I just say that, just all this, just by way of introduction. Now, let's, let's look at one aspect of his ministry. Toward the end, we'll pick up here uh, where they were sent out. We'll pick up as they uh, are finishing their first missionary journey. So go over to Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. And they had gone out and they had preached the gospel in many cities. People had been saved. Churches were being established. And then notice this. It's time for them to return to Antioch. It says in, in Acts 14, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many... They returned again to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Notice this. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. 
Now, if you go just a couple verses earlier, Paul had just been stoned. They thought that he had been stoned to death. And um, so here he is in much tribulation, and they're going back confirming these disciples, exhorting them to continue the faith. And then he himself being an example that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and he gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God and notice this. It doesn't say they rehearsed all that they had done. It says, and they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Listen, nobody's going to be saved if God doesn't open the door. If, if you're not in the right place at the right time, people aren't going to be saved. God has his sheep. We believe that God has his elect. And God is the ultimate, um, he, he connects the dots. He puts the right people in the right place at the right time. And unless you are led of the Holy Spirit, and you are willing to follow the Holy Spirit where he would have you to go, then you won't be used of God because it's God doing the work. Yes. If it's God doing the work, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And you have to be willing you have to be willing to be in the right place at the right time. You cannot, as a servant, even as a, as a, as a church member in your witness, you cannot serve God on your terms. You can't serve God when you want to serve God. You have to serve God when the door is open and when the opportunity is there. And these people came back and they were rejoicing. They weren't taking any credit. They were separated unto the work which God had called them. And they went out and did that work, which involved evangelism, seeing lost people saved, seeing churches started, seeing those churches have elders put in them, and so forth. Churches were organized and all this, but it was God doing it all. And then, um, but they rehearsed all that God had done with them. Isn't it so much more enjoyable when you can share what God has done with you and through you? Isn't it, if we're walking with the Lord, is it not way more enjoyable to give God praise and just be like, I can't believe God has used me. I can't believe that when we look back on what God has done, just be like, I can't believe that God used me. It is a joy to be able to come back and rehearse. I mean, imagine the joy that really was in the church and the joy that Paul and Barnabas must have had. To be able to come back and say, the Gentiles have been saved and churches have been established. And this is all that God has done. But notice this. And they abode long time with the disciples. So this work that Paul and Barnabas had been sent out to didn't just involve continually just doing nothing but evangelism. And going, my point is the work of the ministry is well-rounded. And sometimes some people are privileged to do every aspect. Some ministers get to do every aspect of the ministry. And some ministers do the evangelism. 
Some ministers do the confirming of the saints and so forth. But we're talking about the Apostle Paul here. We're talking about a very special time. And they had been able to go out and do all of it. But they made a full circle. Evangelized and then they came right back around to those same exact churches. And then they confirmed and ordained elders and so forth. They fulfilled the work that they were sent out to do. That's what it says. And then it says, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Does that mean that they were no longer missionaries? Does that mean that God was done with them? Do you think that maybe some of the people in the church are like, man, what are we paying these guys for? I mean, they're supposed to be out there. Um, I say that kind of facetiously, but that's how churches can be. Because when a minister is in, uh, he's waiting on the Lord. He can't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit leads, right? If we're waiting on the Holy Spirit, so what's he supposed to do? What's the minister supposed to do while he's waiting? Serve. What were they doing before they left Antioch? It says, as they ministered unto the Lord. So now that Paul and Barnabas, they returned, they completed the work that they were sent out to do. And so they abode long time with the disciples. And they were preaching and they were teaching and they were ministering to the Lord, waiting for the next open door. And what was the next open door? Well, there's some heresy that's come up. There's this teaching by the Pharisees down in Jerusalem, and it spread into, it ended up getting to the Gentiles, it got to Antioch, and it ended up getting all the way up into where they had just been. By the time it was all said and done, that um, if you go to uh, chapter 15, just in verse 1, it says, here's the false teaching. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, there's works being added to your salvation, and so false doctrine's already been brought in. It's not all of grace anymore. And so the Pharisees have introduced it. So part of their ministry now is, well, we got to go put this fire out. But the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas down. Paul didn't say, man, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to fix this. Is No, the church, um, uh, it says in verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria and ended up down in, in uh, um, Jerusalem. And so... There was an open door there. What ended up happening as a result of that open door? The situation was resolved. God's in control. And uh, the Church of Jerusalem uh, came together. They came up with a letter. Here's what should be said. But what came, we're just going to really try to stay focused on Paul and Barnabas' ministry. What ended up happening as a result of that open door is there were two guys that came back with them. They were sent back by the church in Jerusalem, sent them. You know that I really believe a church authority, and if you look every single time, no matter whether they were being errand boys, the church has sent Paul and Barnabas here. Well, the church sent Judas and Silas from Jerusalem up to Antioch to deliver the message. And, but what ended up happening as a result of that is Silas thought, when he left Jerusalem, he thought, well, I'll probably be back here in a couple months. But that's not what happened with Silas, is it? Silas went up, followed the Lord. There's an open door for him. He's going to Antioch. Maybe he's never even been to Antioch. He's going to go up and be able to be with the brethren in Antioch, and then he'll come back to Jerusalem with a report. Nope. Because Paul and Barnabas ended up having a dispute, and Paul ends up taking Silas, and Silas ends up running all over Macedonia and Philippi. He, I don't know if he ever made it back to Jerusalem. 
And uh, the Bible might say so, where it's so somewhere, but the reality is, is that there was another open door. These men were just willing to follow the Lord where he would have them go. And so let's go on now to uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 35. After this traveling to Jerusalem concerning the meaning about false teaching, as stated in verse 1, it says, Paul also, when they got back to Antioch. So it says at the end of 14, they, they stayed a long time in Antioch. If you look at other passages where it mentions, like it mentions that Paul stayed a long time in Corinth, it was a year and a half. So by comparison, it was 10 months, a year. I don't know how long they were in Antioch before they went to Jerusalem, but they were there a long time. Um, And then they get back to Antioch. Remember, they had been sent out of Antioch originally to the work whereunto God had called them, but here they are, they're, they're still in Antioch. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, what are they doing in Antioch preaching and teaching the word when there's many others also? I mean, how many preachers and teachers does a church need? Right? Isn't that what, oh, those people, that church over there, they've got like four preachers in there. I mean, Post Falls, that church is ridiculous. They've got Brother Hogue and they've got Pastor, they got Austin, you know, and uh, even Brother Kilgar could bring a message. I mean, it's ridiculous for the... They need, to, they need to split up. They need to, that's just too much. People do that. They look at other churches and they see what God's doing and bringing preachers up. Man, those guys need to get out of there and go do something. They better not get up and go out and go do something until the Lord leads them to go right. do something. Maybe God has a purpose for that. And what we see here in Antioch is that um, it says that they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The Lord didn't want them to leave yet. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, and notice this really stood out to me as I began studying this aspect of their ministry. He didn't say, let us go out and go even further among the region of the Gentiles and see whether there be more Gentiles that need to be saved. That wasn't the burden of his heart. That's not what drew him out of Antioch. He had a desire to see more people saved, but that's not what drew him out. The Holy Spirit had put this desire on him, and it says, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Well, that doesn't sound like missionary work. Let's just, that's easy. Let's just go on a little trip. And let's just go around to everywhere where we know that there's already Christians. And let's just see how they're doing. That's what he said. So, oh, he was going to confirm the brethren. He had a concern. He's like, those people have been up there for a while. They're young believers. They're young churches. He had a burning desire. Let's, Let's go and let's visit those churches and let's see how they're doing. And so... I want to just stop there with this thought. What a wonderful thought that they, through their initial work, when they were sent out of Antioch, they now have brethren. He said, because when they first were sent out of Antioch, they were going to a dark place. They were going into unknown territory. They were going to a bunch of pagans, just idol worshipers, godless, and um, it was going to be dangerous. And now Paul, when he's thinking about Antioch now, he's saying, let's go visit our brethren. 
Let's go visit our churches and see how they do. Man, that is an awesome, awesome aspect of missions. That is a wonderful aspect of ministry, even in our community. When you think about how it is that those lost people who might hate us today, tomorrow might be our brethren. And how much the world, our, our, our whole perspective on a region and a place can change when God gets in there and starts saving people, and now it's a welcoming place. Now it's a place where we want to be. And um, we have to remember that all churches are made up of formerly lost people. And so that's part of missions, is going into places where there are no Christians and seeing churches established. Now, it's not primarily for the purpose of seeing churches established. And I've mentioned this before, and sometimes I get funny looks. Our focus needs to be on souls. Our focus needs to be on people. When we go to a place, we need to be primarily concerned about building the kingdom of heaven. We need to be concerned with people who are lost in their sins and they're dying and they're going to hell. We want to see souls saved. Churches are established as a result of souls being saved. But first and foremost... Don't get the cart before the horse. And now that we live, they were going into a place that was completely pagan and godless. And there were no churches. There was zero churches. It's hard for me to fathom that. But see, in America, especially if we talk about doing home missions, we can become concerned about the fact that in this particular area over there, we don't know of any Baptist churches there. And I'll just take a step further. We know of some Baptist churches, but we don't know of any Baptist churches that are exactly like us. You know, with, well, I won't go there. <laughs> exactly like us. Okay, so, so we need to see a church there. I mean, we really, I just have a desire to see a church like ours over there. If that's your driving, so people might get upset with me, but if that is your driving motivation, you shouldn't be a missionary. It's not about seeing a church exactly like ours established over there. You can go over there and you could probably convince a bunch of people to get rebaptized and start a church and convince them that your way is the way without seeing anybody saved. That's right. You can proselytize people into your church. But our first and foremost concern as preachers of the gospel is to see souls saved. And when souls are truly saved, and then they're scripturally baptized, they're going to want, when souls are properly, when they're really saved, they're going to want to be baptized. They just, it's a miracle that happens. When a person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't go the other way around, you don't receive the Holy Ghost as a result of being baptized. But if you're saved, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's a miracle that happens, and you just want to be baptized. Once you've been taught that. If you've never been taught, then it takes a while. But the reality is, is that then when, once you're baptized, you're going to want to be in a church. And you're going to want to worship and you're going to want to fellowship and you're going to want to learn and grow and, and have, you have a new family and so forth. So churches are the result of proper, I'd say proper evangelism and missions. So um, that should be the focus. We don't want to be like Protestants and Mormons and JWs and Catholics. They are extremely concerned with building, a church, building their church too. And they don't care about souls. 
It's an interesting thing that I thought about right around the time that I moved up here. <clears throat> and I was thinking about what I was doing, what the Lord had me doing, and, and coming to a new area. And I was really questioning, what's the difference in Baptists who really have a desire to see churches in a particular area where there are no churches? And what's the driving motivation behind a JW going in to plant a church somewhere? Or a Mormon? The Mormons going to plant, or Jesuits, or whoever. I mean, they've done great feats for their churches being established. Men will do a lot of work and a lot of self-sacrifice to promote their religion and their church. We need to make sure that our focus is proper. They don't care about souls. They don't care about lost people. We need to care about lost people. I've kind of run down a little rabbit hole there, but um, let's go Let's go back here in verse 37. It says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Now, I'll just pause right there. Why did he go to Cyprus? Because he and Barnabas, he and Paul, Barnabas and Paul had been talking about, let's go visit our brethren and see how they be. Just because Paul and Barnabas split up doesn't mean that Barnabas didn't still also have a desire to go see their brethren, how they be. Because if you look at where they went on their first missionary journey, the first stop was Seleucia and the second stop was Cyprus. So Barnabas went that route. And then Paul, it goes on, Paul and Silas, it says, um, and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So they both still went out to confirm the churches. But one went to these churches that they had established and the other one went the other way. But they both went, began their second missionary journey, if you will. But they began it not by going off to lands that hadn't heard the gospel they began it by going right back to the same churches that they had already established. And so, notice these words. He went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Then came he to Derby in the next chapter in Lystra, and which is where they had also gone on the trip before. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have go, go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters. For they knew all that his, fa for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. And so this established in the faith is the same word as confirming or confirmed the churches when they were, when they were, it was mentioning that earlier. These decrees, what were these decrees? It says, they went through the cities and delivered them to decrees to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. This wasn't a big book of all the how to do all things Baptist. This 
things that were ordained and the decrees that were at Jerusalem was what had been given to the church in Antioch. Because if you, if you go over, we, we don't have time to really get into it, but if you go over to chapter 15 when they, when they came to their final decision, and it said, It seems good for the Holy, to the Holy Ghost and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Here's what they were delivering to those churches. That you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. And so they delivered that epistle. And this epistle, I'm missing the verses for it, but this epistle was also meant to be read and delivered to all the other churches of the Gentiles. And so what it says when it says that these decrees which were given by the, um, the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, it was concerning this issue right here. And so <clears throat> what is this to confirm or confirmed or confirming as we read through it, and we'll read it some more. Um, looking up the Greek word uh, for, for all these, it's the same. It's to support further, that is to reestablish, strengthen. The idea of confirm is to reinforce and build upon what they've already been taught. And this is really important in understanding what the if you will, the ministry of confirmation or what it is the confirmation or con the confirming of the brethren. It's not introducing totally new ideas to them. They're going back and they're repeating what they had taught. Remember Paul even in his epistles? His epistles were really epistles of confirmation. And how many times does he say, remember how I told you? Especially like to the Thessalonians. He says, remember how I told you this and this. Now, he would add to, and as they're confirming the brethren, they might be teaching in more detail and laying, you know, principle upon principle, you know, adding a little bit here as they go. But it was nothing new. It was, um, they're confirming the brethren. I want to touch on a couple things, the benefits to this ministry of confirming to the churches. These churches, it says in these passages, they increased more in the faith. They increased more in the faith. They already had faith, and they already knew what they believed. But when they were confirmed, then it, it, um, it increased their faith, and they were encouraged. These places that they went, they had pastors. They already had pastors. They already had someone that was teaching them. But it just was a confirmation and an added blessing to them. And one of the bless, blessings of this confirmation as they went around to these existing churches is it says, and they increased in number daily. Mm. So there was this added blessing when Paul and Silas or Barnabas and John, when they would show up and they would preach, not only would these people in these churches, would their faith be increased, but their numbers would be increased as well. And so... Um, consider the benefits of this ministry to the ministers for Paul and Barnabas, for Paul and Silas. Not only are they encouraged. I mean, just being a preacher and traveling to other churches and preaching in other churches. I was sharing with Scott last Sunday, being in, or two, three Sundays ago when we were in Estes Park, there is such a special blessing and I like almost nothing more sometimes um, 
it's such a highlight of my year when I'm able to go and be with God's people in other places. And we believe the same thing. And when you can preach the gospel with freedom, and they appreciate it and they enjoy it, and it's a blessing for the preacher as well as it is for those who are receiving it. And so Paul and Barnabas, I mean, and Silas, imagine how exciting this was for Silas as he's going to these churches and he's seeing, wow, he's seeing firsthand what God has done. What a blessing it must have been for them. But then also, as a result of them going in this ministry of confirmation, co-laborers were being added constantly from these existing churches. If you look throughout the ministry of Paul, how many times as he went along does he pick up? By the time he's later in his ministry and he's writing at the end of his epistles and he's talking about greet this person and bring this person and, and oh, this person has been a help to me. How many co-laborers did they pick up along the way as a result of, of this kind of ministry? And then the, the Holy Ghost gave direction as they went. It was their second missionary journey, as we call it. There were more churches established. But what is interesting to me is while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to direct them, just like they preached and kept working in their home church, they kept working in the existing churches where they had been until God directed them. And this is where we really come to the, what we call the Macedonian call. Because they had been going through their churches, their previous churches, and they had a desire to go into Asia. But God would have them go into Macedonia. And where they really began to start new churches and see God really work was when they waited for the Holy Ghost to show them exactly where it was that they should go. And when he showed them exactly where they should go, then they went and God immediately. It began with Lydia on the riverbank and it just took off. And they went from Philippi, and that church was established in no time. Then they went to Thessalonica, skipping over. I can't remember the name of There's two cities in the Word of God. It says, and passing through this city and this city, we came to Thessalonica. Well, why didn't they stop there? Because the Holy Spirit didn't tell them to stop right. there. There was probably a church started there later, but God, the Holy Spirit, knows. He was connecting the dots. There were some people in Thessalonica that were just ready to receive the word, just like Lydia. So he got to Thessalonica, and people just received the word. And it was five, six weeks. There was a church established in Thessalonica. Like instantly, there was a church in Thessalonica. And then Paul had to flee for his life, and he ends up going to Berea. And there's people there. They're so diligent. They're, they're more admirable than the people in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Well, where in the world did that come from? That's because the Holy Spirit was making that happen, right? And so then Paul ends up going. So they were doing their missionary work, but they waited on the Lord. And they were doing the ministry of confirmation until the time was right. Because there's also, not only does God have an elect, but he has a time when his elect are going to be saved. Look back in your life. You know that you're chosen of God from before the foundation of the world, but there was a day when you heard the message. There was a day that God spoke to you in whatever way he spoke to you. Um, For me, I didn't have a preacher, but God spoke to me through the preaching that I had heard. But there was a day, there was a time when I was saved. 
and God has a time when His people are going to be saved, and God uses His men to do that, but we have to wait on the Lord. But we don't just wait on the Lord sitting around. We wait on the Lord ministering. And there's different ways in which to minister. And that's what we really need to, I want us to key in on tonight is, I've told several preachers, people who have been called to preach, not pastor, but preach. They believe that the Lord has called them to preach recently. And I always try to emphasize to them, listen, you might hear a lot of different things, but just understand, just because you're called to preach doesn't mean you're called to pastor. It's not automatic. You're going to hear that. But that's, it's, it's not automatic. And if you are going to end up pastoring someday, it doesn't mean you're going to pastor the first time you get up to preach. <laughs> I mean, and so there's times involved. It's God's timing. Yes. But serve and preach and do what God would have you to do, mm. letting Him open the doors. It's amazing what happens when God opens the doors. And then in chapter 16... We see, well, I already covered that. They received direction to go into Macedonia. Um, going down to, uh, we're down to where he goes to Antioch. Turn to, go to Acts chapter 18. In verse 22. This is one of those passages where it says he spent a long time. He was there a, a long time. Kind of like I'm in this message. Oh, man, alive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's already 7 o'clock and like Okay. And Austin was a long time. And okay, it is what it is. I mean, okay, Acts chapter 18. After spending a year and a half in Corinth and then a little time at Ephesus, we read this. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church. So he had been in Corinth for a year and a half. That's where he met Priscilla and Aquila. They went with him to Ephesus, but he was. He was just such a brief stop in Ephesus. Um, he left Priscilla and Aquila there. And we see the next thing. And when he, he needed to go to Jerusalem, it says. And so when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed. And then notice this. I love how this is stated. And went all over the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order. And this is the same word in the Greek as confirming says strengthening all the disciples what a wonderful ministry this is to be able to go back to all those churches now he's going to galatia and phrygia in order just church after church after church strengthening all the disciples that is a much needed ministry The disciples need strengthened. the people of god need strengthened. they had pastors and i know paul was an apostle But it's so beneficial for churches to have preachers come who can confirm them in the faith and reinforce what they've already heard. Remember, it's confirming. It's not learning something new. And sometimes it is so beneficial to hear the same exact thing said a different way from a different voice in a different way. And you're like, man, he believes what we believe. What a blessing. Where'd he come from? I thought we, you know, a lot of times out here, it's this way in, even in some churches in the, in the Bible Belt where the churches are in a bubble. Like they, they don't fellowship. They don't have other preachers come through. They'll have a missionary come through once in a blue moon. 
but usually he's preaching the same message he preaches in every other church, and that's how if you give to God and you give to missions, then he's really going to bless your church and stuff. That's not confirming the brethren. But, um, and I know that, I know what it's like. I guess one of the reasons I have a heart for this kind of preaching is because I know what it's like to be in church when you don't hear another preacher for a year or two. Or maybe a preacher came to town for a particular reason. So it's like, oh, you're in town. Do you want to preach? But to actually have, like, we're going to have, like a weekend of services. Or to actually have multiple preachers come and preach. What a blessing that is. The confirming of the brethren. It is a powerful thing. And Paul was all about confirming the brethren. And so you go on down now to Acts chapter 19. After he spends another three years in Ephesus. So he's not starting churches. He spends another three years in Ephesus. Uh, According to Acts 20 verse 31. uh, He's relating back in time. uh, Saying I was with you for three years. But in Acts 19.21 it says. After these things were ended. Paul purposed in the spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. To go to Jerusalem. Saying after I've been there I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And then 20 in verse 1. And, after, and then they had the riot, you know, the riot that happened in Ephesus and so forth. And he finally leaves Ephesus in 20 verse 1. It says, After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, and notice this phrase, and had given them much, much exhortation. So these are the churches of Philippi and, and other churches that had been started in, in Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and abode there three months. And then, if you continue in the next verse, or go down to six, he was there three months, and then he turns right back around, and he goes right back into Macedonia, where he'd just been. In verse 6, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to Troas in five days, and there we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, then the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And then this is the story of the, the lights were bright and the, and the, boy, or the young man fell out of the window. And uh, so um, here we have a really good example for preachers how you can go till midnight. Or you just go until they drop. Um, but but uh, um, the thing is, one thing I found interesting in looking at these things is <clears throat> Paul, he started the church in Corinth, but he actually went back there three times. Now remember, this is in the days of traveling when it was hard. And it was dangerous. Think of when Paul talks about all the robberies and the, the times in the wilderness and the cold. And when you think of all the, the starving and... And all the things that he endured. He endured all these things to go to the churches and confirm the brethren and exhort and teach them and so forth. And he loved those people in the churches where he had been. And in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, he speaks about how I'm going to be coming to you for the third time. And uh, so... I believe that that third time was uh, here when it says he went to Greece and he was only there three months and he went back up to Macedonia. I roughly added up about how much time Paul spent in the work 
if you will. And uh, the work that he was originally sent out of in, at, in Antioch, it says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. And uh, um, this, this work that he did, the majority of time spent in the rest of his life from the time he sent out of Antioch until um, the Lord took him home after uh, being in, in jail and uh, in Rome and in Jerusalem and all that, the time he spent actually starting churches wasn't even the majority of the time. He spent most of his time traveling to churches, existing churches, spending three years teaching in a school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. And if you add up all the time that it took to travel and do all that, and then you add up his time of incarceration and all of that, the time that he actually spent doing evangelism to lost pagans, you know, going to a new city like Philippi where you don't know anybody, that was not the majority of the work of Paul. And I just found that interesting because we always think of, you know, Paul and Bart, they were missionaries. And they were, in the sense how we use it. But they spent so much of their time traveling to the, and preaching to the people of God and encouraging the people of God. And then, of course, we have his epistles and so forth. When Paul purposed to go to Rome, remember his real desire to go to Rome? That wasn't even a church that he started. Mm -hmm. When he wrote to the church of, I think it was Colossae, he didn't start the church of Colossae, but he cared about that church, and he wrote an epistle to that church. A lot of the churches that he went to, he, he wasn't going there because he had started that church. He wanted to go there because he cared about the people of God. Ah, yes. And he wanted to encourage them. So it wasn't even selfish. And he didn't even know most of the people in the church in Rome. And yet he had such a strong desire to go there and to preach to them. Oh, go to Romans chapter 1. I just want to consider what kind of teaching and preaching was at the... And I'm not going to continue on very long, don't worry. I'm not going to preach a whole other message on what the preaching is in the ministry of confirmation. Just give you some final parting thoughts. But in Romans 1, he says in verse 10, "...making request that by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you." And if I remember right, he wrote this when he was in Corinth, one of his times in Corinth. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. And here we have that same word, the, this confirmed, that you may be confirmed or strengthened. Not with a new teaching, but to be more established is what he's talking about. And he says, That is that I may be comforted together with you by the, and I love this term, the mutual faith, both of me and you. That is... That's a fantastic statement, and, and I love that. That's what I'm talking about. When you meet new Christians, I mean, and you're preaching in churches, maybe you've never even been there, but you have this mutual faith. Yeah. And then when you preach about our mutual faith and how that strengthens and encourages us, and uh, um, that's something that we need. And so he says that I may be comforted with you together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was not, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. 
So as much as in me, He's going to save people. He's going to confirm them, strengthen them. He says, so as much as is in me, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I believe he preached and exhorted in a lot of different ways. And he addressed a lot of difficult things. When you look at what he was dealing with in Corinth, he was addressing sin. In, in, in fact, in, the, in Corinthians, uh, that 2 Corinthians 13, the language that is used there, um, he says, um, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall your word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And now being absent now, I write to them which hitherto have sinned. And to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. That's pretty tough. But he's, he's wanting to make sure that they are fixing the sin that's in their life. Well, that's part of the ministry of confirmation. is sometimes telling people things that they don't want to hear, but it's good for them. And um, the important thing for the people of God in the churches is when the preacher does come. And sometimes, does it not almost have more of an impact it's an interesting thing how God uses his ministers, but a pastor has his finger on the pulse of the church. And he knows, he seeks the Lord's will and what he would have him to preach, what would be beneficial to the church, and how, you know, and sometimes there's things that have to be dealt with and so forth. But you can call a preacher to come in and say, would you be willing to come and preach for us for, we need to be encouraged. Would you be willing to come and preach for us for a weekend? And man, that preacher comes and he doesn't know anything about anything that's been going on in the church or who's been dealing with what. And he just hits everybody right between the eyes with a two by four. It's like, how does that happen? That's the Holy Spirit, yes, right? Yes. And so um, sometimes the people of God need to be convicted about things and a lot of times they just feel like the preacher's picking on them the pastor's picking on them because he knows me and he knows what i'm going through and every time he preaches he's just preaching at me but you can't say that when some dude you do, you've never even met comes and stands behind the pulpit and as some people say read your mail to you and so um god knows what he's doing yeah. and um and he uses the preaching of his word and, and his preachers I believe that it would be, when we're considering what is this ministry and what are the messages in a, in a ministry of confirmation, it would be realistic to conclude that the message that Paul preached to the churches he visited is what we find in the epistles he wrote. When he, what, what did Paul say when he went to the churches of Galatia? Well, read what he wrote to the Galatians. <laughs> um, but he would write things like this. And these are all things that we need to hear. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He would go into a church and maybe just have to bring a message on being kind. I mean, it's pretty sad that God's people have to be told to be kind. I read a lot of what was written in the epistles and I'm like, this is pathetic. That God has to tell his children to be nice to each other. Um, but I think that that would be one thing that um, could be said. Um, another is, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity, 
I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, though I have not the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So maybe he would preach an entire message on, on that to a church, um, you know, the church in Philippi. He's, he wrote that to the Corinthians, but he would say that to anybody. There's a whole message right there. What about this? And it ties in with, the mess, with what he was uh, in his, at the end of his first missionary journey. But he wrote this, I believe this is to the Corinthians, but be steadfast, mm-hmm. unmovable. This is encouraging. This is increasing the faith of the brethren. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Remember what they preached when they were returning on the first missionary journey. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. And so Paul was using his own life experience to be an encouragement. And then Paul would have been giving messages. Sometimes he would have to give warnings, like in Ephesus, the last time he passed through Ephesus. Didn't he tell them? He told them not that they might. He said, grievous wolves shall enter in among you. Protect the flock over which God hath made you overseers. Well, sometimes it's good for a church to hear that from from an outside source. You know, that encouragement to the pastor. The pastor needs encouraged. That we need to stand up for what we believe in. So is confirmation needed today? I believe that the ministry of confirmation is still needed today. It's still the same Lord's Church. It's still the same Holy Spirit. It's still the same gospel message. I don't think the methods of preaching and evangelism and mission work should really vary that much from what we find in the Word of God. There aren't scriptures that say, and thus shalt thou start a church, and thus shalt thou do missions, and this and that. But we do have a pretty good guideline on how they did it. And the, to me, the primary key that, and I'm cutting out a bunch here, but we've just run out of time. But the primary thing is that um, they were led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if we're led by the Holy Spirit and we do things the best we can, we're not going to be perfect, but the best we can according to the Word of God, I think the Lord's really going really gonna to bless. Amen. And uh, I'm grateful for... Um, our church and how we have begun to have more preachers and things like that. We have, we have uh, Scott Silvers coming in a few days. Um, he'll be with us. He's a man who, at one time, he pastored for a little while. Um, he's done work and uh, for years he did work in a in a in a nursing home. Um, he's done tent ministry. He's labored and put up tents, not so he could preach, but just so other people could preach. Um, he's done, uh, he moved his family all the way from the back east to middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, just to help, just to help grow a church that had gotten down to eight to ten people. And the Lord has blessed, and he does a ministry of confirmation. He goes around and preaches in church and is a blessing, and I look forward to it. We need it. Yes. And I think the Lord's really going to bless. We need to pray for him. And we need to really support people who are in that kind of ministry as well, Pastor.